that just blows my mind. Uh, all right, two, two quick confessions. How many of you ate too much this past week? Be honest, yeah? Here, here was the text that I sent out to multiple of my friends. You need to gobble till you wobble. And that was what we did multiple times. Uh, it was a busy week for us. Um, our son was married this weekend, Daniel. And uh, on top of that, yeah, yeah, it's great news. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it, uh, uh, going to be much cheaper at my household now. Uh, here's, uh, <laughs> here's, here's the, um, uh, our week went something like um, we, we had his bachelor party on, uh, on Monday, uh, on Tuesday, uh, trying to finish up everything on a short week uh, with the office and everything that that contained. Uh, Wednesday is the rehearsal, the rehearsal dinner. Uh, Thursday, of course, Thanksgiving. Um, my, our daughter, uh, Amy and Marcus, um, handled it this year, and almost 70 people are at their house for Thanksgiving. So we have a large get-together. And then Friday, of course, is the, uh, the wedding, and, um, and then the reception afterwards. So uh, come, all, come all into this to say it was such an awesome, awesome time. Uh, we had just the best time ever, enjoyed all of our family and friends. And uh, come into this, and we call it simple, and I think to myself, is simple just an idea that we throw out there where we, we'd love to tell everybody, wow, we're coming into this very busy time, let's be simple. And I'm not sure that I can stand up here with all integrity and say it was a very simple week, but then here would be where I would go with it. Um, even though we're calling it the idea of simple, what we're really trying to do under the intro point right there, we're trying to find simplicity in a complex world. But let me take it one step further. This is a complex season, yes or no? I mean, all of a sudden, our schedules get overburdened. All of a sudden, there are so many things that we're obligated to, so much money that we begin to spend. Uh, I don't know about you, but I bet, I bet Christmas is not the only thing that you have going in the month of December. It just adds to uh, everything else that's going in. And then it's just such a short time. There's Christmas, and then there's New Year's, and there's just so much. So when we come back to say this, look, I, I don't think the idea of the message is, hey, let's simplify by getting rid of all of our holiday traditions. I don't think that that's what, what we're trying to talk about. I think maybe where we want to go with this and maybe what could be a benefit and a value to you and maybe where you can find the life of God in it is this. At the transition point, I'm going to call it the art of contentment. Here's, here's the truth. Regardless of how busy you are or you're not, whether you're in a great place or a bad place, whether it's a time of fullness or a time of dryness, here's the truth of the matter. Where you're going to find the life is in learning to be content in your circumstances, yes or no. And so that's where I would go tonight. Now, as a reminder, if you're visiting with us this weekend or, or uh, maybe uh, just, a, just a refresher real quick, whenever we do the first message in a new series, my job is to simply be as wide as I can possibly be. In the next few weeks, we'll narrow this down a little bit and we'll talk about what we mean by simplicity and how we can simplify some of the things in life and enjoy it more. But this one's going to be a little more broad stroke, a little wider, the idea of just what contentment is. So uh, I put down on here, let me, let me quickly, let me do a demonstration on an age issue. And this is going to separate age real quickly. How many of you in this room are old enough to remember carnation evaporated milk? Raise your hand. Okay, look, maybe, maybe two-thirds. How many of you remember their slogan? Do you remember? Their slogan from growing up when I was a kid was, their milk comes from what? Contented cows. I never understood what a contented cow is. Every cow I've ever seen looks contented. What does a cow do all day except be contented? I, I don't know where that comes from. I think the idea that they took was the idea that maybe, you know, 
Contentment means to be relaxed. And maybe our idea of contentment is simply this. Contentment is laziness. Or contentment is giving up or settling. Or contentment's just sort of like, you know, whatever it is, eh, let's just be okay with it. And I don't think that that's what contentment is. As a matter of fact, if you were to go home uh, this, this uh, weekend and you were to look up the definition of contentment, it just so happens I did it for you so you don't have to, here's what contented means by definition. In Webster's Dictionary, contented, a contented person is a person who is happy and satisfied. Happy and satisfied. So look at me real quickly. And let me ask this question. When we're talking about simplicity, you know, simplicity has the idea of being contented to it. How many of you would love to be happy and satisfied this season? Amen. I mean, if I could teach you that, would you be in? I know some of you are sitting there thinking, that, that's impossible. In fact, this year, probably this season, exposes the idea that we're not happy and satisfied. Yet I would say just the opposite to you, that if you can land on where you find contentment at, doesn't matter what happens during this season, you can be a happy and satisfied person. Can you imagine that? Regardless of the circumstances, you can be a happy and satisfied person. Regardless of what happens this Christmas, regardless of what you get or what you don't get, regardless of what people do and don't do. And how about this? This is the time of year when it also exposes all the things that are wrong inside of our families. It adds to all the problems. We all, here, we put so much pressure between Thanksgiving and Christmas to be the time when all of our families are so loving. And really all it does is expose all of the dysfunction that the Lakewood campus has. Because we know that Lone Tree apparently has no dysfunction in it. So let's, let's jump into, let me jump into this. All right, so if I could teach you the idea of how to be happy and satisfied based on the idea of being contented. Uh, look at a familiar scripture, Philippians chapter 4, and uh, you can follow along with me as I, as I read this. So it's really familiar scripture. We usually uh, quote, when we quote this, and I'll show it to you at the end of the scripture. In fact, let me say two things that'll come at the end. One, when I did my son's wedding this weekend, there was an observation that uh, the Lord showed me. I'd never seen it before, and I've done three of my children's weddings. I recognized it, I realized it, but something God showed me and it's reflective in this service, actually, this afternoon. And, and I'll come back to that. Uh, I'll also come back to this, that this scripture right here, uh, normally it's quoted by a lot of people, but it's usually verse 13. And I'll come there in a minute. But 11 and 12 come before it and are necessary in order to understand 13. So this is what Paul says. We're talking about how to be happy, how to be fulfilled. And it has the idea of contentment involved in it. So Paul teaches this. I've learned to be, what's the word? I've learned to be content. First of all, look at that. Uh, contentment isn't automatic, is it? There's a learning issue to be content. I think it's automatically inside of us. We're not born content. And if you don't believe that, look at two two-year-olds with one toy. You do not have to teach them how not to be content, do you? It's in human nature not to be content, to be competitive, and to want what someone else has. We find the battle for life at that point right there. So I've learned how to be content. Look at this. Whatever the circumstances, that's a pretty bold statement. I can say this. When everything in my life is going really well, when everything around me goes the way that I want it to go, when I'm pretty much in control, when I have what I want, when it just goes my way, I'm pretty content. But I can't make that statement right there that I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And this is the difference between a happy person and an unhappy person. This is the difference between what we just said right here. If the very idea of contentment is a person who is happy and satisfied, it has to be able to be happy and satisfied in all circumstances for it to work. 
if it only works when everything goes well, my, my question to you is, how many things in life always go well? And if you're like, well, it does for me, I would love to interview the people around you then. So I bet you're the one. Never mind. So here we go. So I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Look at this. He goes into detail. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. So he's saying in either of those places, I've learned how to be content. Go to the next part of this right here. I think it's interesting. I have learned, and I want you to see this. I have learned the secret. So I want you to remember that. Because what I want to teach you is the secret to contentment. The secret to happiness or the secret to satisfaction. So Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. That's a pretty powerful statement, folks. So it's a, just a, a, one of those things to where if you really look at this and think, is that possible? How do you do that? All right, there's a secret here. So let me expose two, two I, I think, philosophies that are out there that we probably all struggle with or that you see people struggle with or, or their way to try to be content. And, and let me just give you the two real quick. Here are contentment myths. The first one is uh, people in our society, sometimes in our lives, maybe even ourselves, here's what we think. Less is the secret to contentment. The problem with life is more. Solomon said it this way, with the more you have, the more you have to worry about. That is true to an extent, yes or no. The more that's in your hand, the more you're responsible for, the more you're responsible for, the more you have to give uh, energy and effort and, and worry to. So then the idea is, okay, well, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Here's how to be content and have less. So I put it down sort of as a formula this way. Here would be the way that people would decide less is the way to contentment, and it's actually a myth. And it would look like this. Here's the issue. Money in their mind is the root of all evil, which, by the way, the Bible never says money is the root of all evil, does it? Do you know what the difference is? Uh, the love of money is the root of all. Money is a tool, yes or no? Uh, money can be a shield. Money can be a benefit. Do you agree with that? If you're like, I disagree, you either have a lot of it, right? Because the people who don't have it are like, I'd like to find out whether or not it's that way. But here's the deal. So people just go, money is the root of all evil. So here's the solution. I'll give it all away. I'll swear it all off. And we've seen people in, I, I mean, this is, look, we, there are monks that take vows of poverty and that, that, that feel like by doing that, it makes them more like Christ. It makes them more godly or more holy. Or, uh, there, here's the secret to contentment. Let me actually expose the myth here because here's what I would say. If you take the attitude that contentment comes with less, less is the way. So money's the root of all evil. Give it all away and swear it off. Here's the real problem. You're still discontented, but now you're also poor. Do you not think poor people are discontented people? So here we are in America, and we just think people in Africa are very happy. All right, so I read a really neat book by a guy named Matt Chandler. He's a pastor that I admire, young guy, booming church, theologian, wrote a book about the gospel. This was his quote. Let me read it to you. As a guy who pastors a church of predominantly upper-middle-class people, I related to this. 
I can tell you that having clean water and living in nice homes does not fix the root of what's wrong with mankind. Yes or no? He goes on to say, there is just as much darkness and despair where there's access to indoor plumbing and excellent medical care as there is in places that don't have these things. What's he trying to say? I put in your notes this idea right here. Here's the revelation behind the, the contentment myth when you go less is the way to having contentment in life, to having peace in life. Here's the revelation that Matt Chandler brings forth. The thing is not the thing. Some of you are afraid, like that's either really stupid or really deep and I don't know which way to go. So I'll just sit here and stare at him. The thing is not the thing. When people are looking for contentment and happiness and satisfaction, it's human nature to point to a thing and miss the real issue all the time. We think, like this situation, in very third world rural countries, if they just had adequate medical facilities and they just had adequate water facilities and they just had adequate whatever, this will fix all their problems. The thing, is not, the thing is something inside of them that has nothing to do with how much they do or don't have outside. It's a spiritual issue. And while those things are important and good, and this is not an excuse not to address those issues or to feel bad if you have those issues. Here's the thing. Those things don't bring contentment and happiness in our life. And if they do, it's only temporary. It's never long term. Here's why. God designed you. According to the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon said this. You were designed with eternity on the inside of you. That means whatever you try to fill that eternity with will only work for so long before ultimately you realize it's just a thing. And I'm not really happy with the thing. That's why the car doesn't do it. So what do we do? We need a new thing, a bigger car or a nicer car or a faster car or a more limited car. Yes or no? So if we fill it with money, then where, where do you draw the line? We get a little bit of money, and initially it's the bump. We feel good about the bump. The bump is good. All the bump becomes, though, is the next level of dissatisfaction. Do you understand what I mean by that right there? If the house is the thing, you get the house, finally. You get the one that you want. But as soon as you're in it, you begin to look at the house you don't have because that becomes the thing. And the thing is not the thing. The thing is not the thing. That's the problem when you buy into the myth of contentment being some physical issue, something that you can control, something you can own, something you can buy, something that you can gain, something that you can get. The thing is never the thing. Let me give you a spiritual lesson on this. Whenever we go to Israel, one of my favorite places to go to, Jesus' very first public miracle took place at a wedding, the Bible says, in the place of Cana in Galilee. If you remember the story from John chapter 2, Jesus shows up at a wedding. He's never done public ministry before. And his mother comes to Jesus and says, Hey, son, they've run out of wine. Could you do something about this? You remember Jesus' response? Thank you, Mom, for bringing this to me. I would be more than happy to jump to the occasion and handle this. Do you remember his response? Here's what he says. Woman, what does this have to do with me? Now, that is a real reply to a mom, yes or no? Yes or no? Woman, what does this have to do with me? Why are you telling me this? 
And Jesus' mother, if you don't believe the Bible, look how real this is. This is what the Bible says. Jesus' mother ignored him. Now that is real life, man. She ignored him, looked at the servants, and this is what she said. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. And she walks away. And in fact, Jesus actually said to her, my time to do miracles has not yet come. And yet, here's what we find. Jesus looks at them. I wonder he was just looking at his mother like, And looks at the servants, I want you to go over and get those stone pots over there, fill them with water, bring them to me. Now remember, he just said, it's not yet my time. But for some reason, he's willing to go ahead and step into this. I, I, moms just have that thing, don't they? Doesn't matter how old you are. Moms can make you do stuff you wouldn't do, anybody. So Jesus then prays over the water pots it turns into wine, and then the story goes like this. The master of the ceremonies comes out, he samples the wine, and then he says to the groom, uh, most people bring out the best stuff first. And then when the guests have had a little too much to drink, they bring out the cheap stuff because they don't know the difference. But you have saved the best stuff until the last. What a story right there. But what it has to do with this, every time we go there, no matter how many people I bring to this, and at this point now I've brought seven or 800 people to Israel. Every time we go there, someone in our group always says this, Pastor, where are those stone pots? <laughs> I'm like, I'm not quite sure why. Because I wonder if we filled them with water, if it would turn back into wine again. And I'm always like amazed by answers like that because here, even spiritually, we do the same thing. We think the thing is the thing, not the thing is the thing. Let me come over here. We think the thing, the pots is the thing, and we never recognize that Jesus is always the thing. The stuff is just, it's stuff. It's a means to an end. It's something to enjoy for the moment, to look at, to go, wow, that was awesome. But the thing is never to be the thing that we go after we go after Jesus. Let me give you this. Chris and I visited a missionary friend of ours in uh, Ireland a few years ago. Now, I know some of you are going to be very disappointed when I tell you this story. In fact, I even debated, do I take away from them the miracle that they think happened in their life? But let me just tell you how the story goes. So we go to visit our friend, his name's John Bailey. Uh, John is a, he's an American, uh, but his heritage is Irish. He went back to Ireland, um, worked with a, a church in Cork, Ireland, did awesome. But while we were there, John, John took us uh, on a tour and we went to the Blarney Castle, ever heard of it? Okay, let me just, have any of you in this room ever been to the Blarney Castle? Any of you at any of our campuses? Raise your hand, you've been to the Blarney Castle, okay. You, I probably shouldn't have had you raise your hand. There's a tradition at the Blarney Castle called the Blarney Stone. And here's what tourists do. They lay on their back, put their head way back, and they try to kiss the bottom of the Blarney Stone because some miracle at some point took place where some guy kissed it, got the gift of gab, and it made him millions of dollars. He was a silver-tongued devil. And so here became the thing that people believe as long as you go and kiss the Blarney Stone, you can have the gift of gab. How many of you believe that's true? 
And yet if you're there, they line up 10 deep. So we get there, and Chris and I get in line, because we're going to kiss the Blarney Stone. And the missionary pulls me aside, and he said, do not kiss that stone no matter what you do. And I said, why not? He said, because you do not know what the locals do on that stone for all the tourists that come to Ireland. That's disgusting, yes or no? Totally disgusting. Some of you are like, oh my God. I didn't get the gift of gab, I got tomane. That's what happened, that's why I was sick. And it's as silly a thing as that, it's a rock. Some of them think it's the rock that David hid behind from Saul. Some of them think it was a rock that had to do with when, the, when Ireland was first conquered and they used it as a meeting. What? It's a rock. It's a thing. There is no intrinsic value, no miracle, no nothing is ever going to come from the thing. You could kiss it a thousand times and you're not going to speak any better. The only difference might be that maybe you mentally think that you're going to speak better, but the thing is not the thing. If there was a miracle there, the thing that you would seek is the one who gives the miracle, not a rock that he used to make a miracle happen. Do you understand? God, how many times in life do we get that impression? Contentment myth. Let me just do then the other side of the myth. If maybe you don't fall into the side of less. And in fact, I would say that, look, if there are two myths here when it comes to contentment, either less or more, Probably the majority of people in our church don't fall into the less. Probably many of the people in our church fall into the more. Contentment comes with more. So their formula would probably look like this. Here's the issue. When I get, fill in the blank right there. More. Yeah, very perfect. Perfect answer. How about this? When I get married. When I get divorced. When I get healthy, when I get skinny, when I put on weight. When I get rich, when I get promoted, when I get noticed, when I get famous. Fill in the blank. Because the myth is, when I get this, I'll be content, I'll be happy, I'll have what I want, everything in life will be okay. And then here's the thing, you'll spend your whole life chasing more. More. And even if you get it, it's the same principle. It's only the bump that satisfies for a few weeks. It's like this. If you ever get a nice raise, at first you're really impressed with it. Now it becomes the floor. Anyone in this room ever received a raise? Good. You're like, what is a raise, Pastor? And if you ever get a raise, listen to me. This is just a, this is a fact of how human nature works. If you ever get a raise for a week or two, it satisfies. It's nice. But then it becomes the new floor to the next thing that's supposed to happen for you. It's actually the law of diminishing returns. It initially satisfies, but from that point on, it can never reach the high that it reached the first time. Only one thing in life can increase. We're spiritual people who have to be met at a spiritual level, but we try to live life on a physical uh, plane, and the physical disappointment leaves us without contentment and happiness in life. That makes sense? So the formula looks simply like this. If more 
is your contentment myth. You go, when I get fill in the blank, I'll be happy. I put down the solution is, I don't know if you remember from Greek history. Uh, we use the name, to, we actually don't use his name, it's Sisyphus. But we use his, his picture as, a, um, as an illustration for people in life who always just add more and more, and they think that by getting this thing, it's going to be... Here, here's what his picture looks like. This is, he's the guy that's always rolling the rock up the hill. You ever seen that before? And I don't know if you know what the myth is. The myth is as soon as he gets near to the top, the weight of the thing causes it to roll back down, so he's condemned in life always to go back to the bottom and begin to push the thing back up the hill. And as soon as he gets near the top, it weighs too much, and it rolls back to the bottom, and back he goes again to push the thing up. And the person who thinks more is the secret to contentment and happiness, that's you. You just don't know it's you. And you'll spend a lifetime pushing up a hill a burden that is absolutely unable to meet your need and what it does it weighs too much when you finally get near and it falls right back down but you'll spend your life running back trying to push it back up the hill again what would you tell that person how would you help that person see that what you're doing has no good into it There's, this is not a means to happy it's a mean ultimately look at me if you live your life for more, here's the end of your circumstance. You will be tired and worn out. And do we or do we not have an American group of people who when you ask them how they're doing, I'm busy and I'm tired. We live, here's my, here's my thought. Have, I, I think that because we live in the last days, I think we live at an end time speed in life that God never intended for any of us to try to live our lives at. And it causes us to be so busy that the spiritual, we can't hear the spiritual call us because of the velocity we live our life. You ever been so fast in a car, you roll the windows down, all you can hear is shh. And as soon as you roll it up, all of a sudden you realize, I couldn't hear. That's the velocity that we live our lives at. If more is your thought to life, you're living at a velocity that absolutely cannot bring you happiness. The problem ultimately will be this. You will still be discontented, and now you'll be worn out. That's a problem. I'll give you a quick illustration of this that I experienced in my life. I've done it several ways, several times. Look, if you think when I teach this message that I'm talking to you, or I'm talking down to you, or I'm trying to expose something, I'm talking to me. I know me. I know how I am. I know that I can go to extremities on either side of this thing. I know that I long to be happy and I long to be satisfied and I long to be fulfilled and yet I find myself struggling so many times and when I get off chasing the thing rather than the thing, I suffer. I'll give you a great one. So 16 years ago we start this church. Jake Wood, listen to me. So here, my, my nephew Jake Wood is starting an awesome church uh, down in Denver. Let me give you a plug real quick. Uh, Jake, stand up real quick. Uh, Jake uh, happens to be attending this Lone Tree campus, but I want all of our campuses to see this uh, booming church called Storyline Church. Uh, Jake is in his mid-30s. He is trying to reach people who are just like him. Look at him. That's what he's like. <laughs> he and his wife, Kim, have this awesome church they're trying to plant in Denver. Our church is helping them financially, and I'm sitting on his board to help make this thing happen. But I would say this to you, Jake, that when we first started this church, I would sit in an office and I would just think, why won't the phone ring? Why won't the phone ring? Why won't the phone ring? And I would go out and try to busy myself, make the phone ring. And my wife said this to me, 
Stop it. Just enjoy the fact that the phone's not ringing because someday it's going to ring so much you're going to hate the telephone. My God, what a prophet she was. <laughs> Sit back down. You're going to have a booming church. And I would encourage any of our people who live in the downtown area who are traveling out here, don't do it. Go to his church. Go to Jake's church. It's an awesome church, Storyline Church. But I would just say to any person who finds that time in life where, why is it whatever we have, we're not contented with it? Because the thing becomes the thing. I wanted the phone to ring because to me it meant we were legitimate. Now, I don't want to be so legitimate. Before I couldn't have peace because I felt like nobody cared. Now I can't have peace because I feel like too many people care. What, what is that funny what is that about us? When we put the emphasis on the thing, we miss contentment in life. Does anybody hear what I'm saying right now? We miss contentment and happiness. It'll lose us. It escapes us. It goes right by us. We'll never see it. We'll never see it. All right, so then Paul teaches these words again. Let me read it to you. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed, whether hungry, whether uh, living in plenty or living in want. Philippians 4.13 then is the revelation of the secret. And normally when people quote this scripture, they never quote the first two. They only quote, quote 13. Here's verse 13. I can do what? All things through Christ. So we ever, whenever we tell somebody who needs to go, like, listen, you know what? You got a test to take. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. <laughs> now, while that's true, it's completely out of context. Yeah. Yeah. Let me say it one more time. Let's read this all together. Back me up to 412 real quick in 11. 11 and 12. Right here. They do. I have learned... To be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then here's the secret. I can do anything. I can be in plenty. I can be in want. I can have it all and I can have nothing. I can be rich. I can be poor. I can be famous. And I can be insignificant, and I can be content in every bit of it. And when I'm content, I'm happy. And here's the secret. When Jesus is the thing, I'm going to say it one more time. Look at me. Here's the secret. When Jesus is the thing, you're going to be okay. And if Jesus isn't the thing then even if you go to church and sing the songs and pray the prayers and do the outreach, you're not a happy, contented person. You're striving. And you know the invitation from Christ is to quit striving. Come to me and find rest and true happiness, real life. When Jesus said he came to bring life, it was not I came to bring you the ability to have more, 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 more. It's a very Americanized version of Christianity. It's actually the gospel of acquisition. More, more, more. We use faith to get stuff. And that's never what Jesus taught. So is God against you having more? Nope. Is there a natural drive in a person? 
to want to accomplish. Yep. And is that good? And does God bless it in its proper place? But if that's what you worship, guess what? In you, I put the scripture reference right here, uh, the idea behind it right here. Uh, In you, inside of you, God has placed eternity. It's from uh, Ecclesiastes. Eternity is in all of our hearts. And whenever we try to fill that with anything else, it leaves us in a discontented place. All right, now, let me just, I'm going to close with this. I put it in your notes right here. Water that satisfies. Jesus at one point in ministry, actually did it several different places, but, but look at the power of this scripture right here. I'll just read it to you. Uh, Jesus uh, was asked the question about whether or not he was the son of God. Um, he, he, he was asked about uh, water that, that he, he said, if you drink the water that I'll give you, you'll never thirst again. And then he answers a question that was asked about that. And this is what he says. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Talking about regular water of this world. The water of money, the water of stuff, the water of accomplishment, the water of fame, the water of relationship. If you drink that water, here's the problem. You're going to get thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will what? Never thirst again. All right. When we were raising our children, whether you agree or disagree with me, whether you think I was right or wrong, this is not the way that you need to go do it. I I am not making a statement about how I think children ought to be raised. This was for our family. When Chris and I moved here, we planted our family in one place, and this is what we said, good, bad, live, die, fail, succeed, this is our home. These are the people that we will live with. These are the people that we will die with. We will give ourselves to this group of people, and we will go no place else. And if it doesn't work, then we gave ourselves to one thing, and we gave our all. Our children were going to attend the schools in the, in the, in the area. Uh, our family was going to interact in our community. We were not going to come in and be separate. We were going to be apart. So our children uh, were put in public school. And I watched my sons from the time they were, my twins in particular, from the time they were in uh, kindergarten and first grade. They came all the way up through the Douglas County School System. They had one set of friends, friends that they grew up with, friends that they loved, uh, friends, that, uh, friends that were not believers, quite honestly. And I worried about that. I worried about the influence. Who's having the bigger influence? Will I lose my children? God, I worried about that. And then I would pray, you know what? Salt is not salt unless it gets in there where there is no salt. And light is not light if all it does is hang around light. And so I I just, this is it. All right, so now... All the years have come by. Yes, there was ups and downs. There's a bigger story than what I'm trying to tell right here. But I do this wedding this weekend for one of my twins. And all of his friends that he went to high school with are at this wedding. And many of them are not believers by any stretch of the imagination. But in the middle of this ceremony, the Spirit of God is in this place. I'm not preaching. I'm not teaching. The love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of here. Here's the deal. If you really live it and it's really a part of your life on days like that, it just comes out. You can't manufacture it. You can't make it happen. You can't buy it. There's no money that can buy it. It's either there or it's not there. And it was here in this room, man. So that we all end up going over to the reception. And this is what happened to me. I have two parents that we raised our kids together who are not believers come to me. And the first two parents go like this, would you please do our children's wedding when they get married? They need what your kids have. And then it went like this. 
went like this. One of the boys who I know, he just doesn't believe, man. He's, he's just not there. He grabbed me and he pulled me close. He hugged me. He wouldn't let me. It was almost awkward. He had my, his, his, his lips are in my ear. And that is not comfortable for me. This is not my thing. And this, he doesn't know the language. He doesn't understand what we understand. He can't categorize it like we categorize it. But this is what he says to me. He said, I now know why people turn to religion in their life. He said, I see and I understand. He didn't have another word. He, didn't, he couldn't say they turned to grace and mercy or they turned to Jesus. He used the word religion. I had four of them come to me and say, hey, can we come back to your church outside of the wedding? I don't know. <laughs> the best one. I had this little Catholic kid that grew up with my boys. And he knows that I was a Catholic kid. And he walks up to me. He said, I just want you to know, I've already told my mom that if I ever need to confess my sins to anybody, it's to you and not a priest. And I don't care what she says, you're doing my wedding. And the guy just grabs me and pulls me to him. How do you explain all of those things right there? I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. I'm going to tell you exactly what it is. When heaven meets earth... All the things that are taught in college about why religion is so horrible and the plague of it on society, all of it melts away when people suddenly see God. When they touch love, when they feel mercy, when it's inexplicable, here's what it is. Inside of us, eternity has been placed. And if we actually can be close to it and see it, Everybody, regardless, is drawn to it immediately. They may not have the language for it. They may not want the church thing. They may not get why we do everything that we do. But here's the truth. It separates everything. They are drawn to Jesus. Now I'm going to make a statement to you. You agreed with me just now. You know it's true. And I'm going to ask you a question. Why can I stand up here and tell the people of faith that the thing is not the thing and that Jesus is the thing and we all know you're exactly right why have we lost the appreciation for how precious Jesus is to us why is it we stray from that and try to fill our we have the answer why is it we can't keep the main thing the main thing Riddle me this. Who are you talking to, Pastor? God, I walked home last night and I felt so... God, I hear these people are so drawn to what I have that I have become commonplace with it because I forget how precious of a gift Jesus is and how satisfying He is and how wonderful He is. And then here's the truth. Look at me. Here's the truth. So what if you agree with me right now? What are you going to do about it? Hype yourself up? You know what I learned at 50 finally? Hype is worth nothing. Here's what you do. 
would you work your grace in me to make this precious in me again and remind me that Jesus is the thing. Want to be happy? Want to be content? You said you did. Here's the secret. I can do all things. I can be content in every place in life, whether this year I have a lot or I don't have very much, whether everything's going great in my family or where it's not going too good at all, whether my job is really awesome or whether I'm really struggling, whether my church is on top or my church is just trying to get going, I can be content in all things when Jesus is the focus of my life. You're never too old for that message. You're never too far past that message. But it does require humility to that message. An acknowledgement that the myth is not going to get you there. You want to keep pushing a rock up a hill? So Lord, every one of us, every one of us, God, I don't feel like any of us escape the message. I don't feel like any of us, God, find ourselves suddenly like, ah, that doesn't really apply to me. I think the human condition in nature is just simply that, God, it's so many times we're thinking if I could just get the next thing or I could just get rid of this thing. If I can do away with this or I can gain that, I'll finally find satisfaction. I'll finally be happy. And it's such a myth and so many people live their lives. And then the truth of the matter is the household of faith have the answer and yet become very, boy, listen to the word. We become very casual, unappreciative almost. We lose the appreciation for the real thing. And I would ask you at the very start of this season right now, ask the Lord to teach you the secret of contentment. God, help me right now to make my focus on you, my life on you. Not what I don't have or what I need to get rid of, but on you. He's here now. He's available. Heaven longs to come to earth right in your life. In fact, let me just lead you in this prayer. If this is you, just simply repeat after me. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, be the focus of my life. I reject the myth and I embrace the truth. Happiness is found in you. Contentment is in you and not in the things of this world. Let them find their proper place as I seek you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome weekend. I love you. Take this message and do something with it, right? See you later.